Toto, I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. You're listening to Out of Oz, a podcast from Building 28 Church. Welcome back to Out of Oz, a podcast from Building 28 Church, where we confront the fantasies and fallacies of modern Christian culture with compassion, conviction, courage, and confidence. Mm. Confidence at times. Lots of seeds in there. I am Adam Clark, (laughs) subbing for (laughs) Peter. (laughs) Okay, now it's getting awkward. (laughs) Peter's out. I'm in. Sorry. Aaron. Yeah, I'm here. I'm here. I'm pastor at Building 28. We have the pastor at Sunrise, at least for now, before he comes over here, comes assistant <laughs> pastor, associate pastor of teaching. And we have the pastor us, Danny Van, mm. here with us. So that's it. Let's do it. Great. We're talking about the Stephen. And is he going to hell? Ooh, the furtick. All right. So there is an abundance of ideas about God in mainstream Christianity, thought life today, some widely unbiblical, while others remain anchored to scripture. Preachers teach Sunday after Sunday and serve as a mouthpiece to explain the Bible to hundreds, Mm -hmm. if not thousands or even hundreds of thousands of people, depending on the size of their church, their influence, their media stream, everything else. Mm -hmm. Take, for example, Stephen Furtick, pastor of Elevation Church, where he teaches and has a weekly church attendance of, and this is a very specific number, 27,408 people, as recorded in 2021. Elevation also has 23 locations. Wow. If a pastor fails to explain what the Bible teaches, it can lead a church and its people astray. Is this a problem? And if so, how big a problem? The bigger question might be, or more specific question, with teaching false doctrine in mind, is Stephen Furtick going to hell? That's what we're going to talk about a little bit today. So with that said. I think we can wrap this one up pretty quickly and say, uh, we don't know. And we can't know. I would say, yeah. Anyway, no, I'll, I'm I'll kidding. Say, I'll say more. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. So why are we talking about Stephen Furtick specifically in this episode? Is it something specific about him versus what we might call soft gospel preachers, pastors in general? Why Stephen? I think he's just the example. Mm-hmm. He's just he's just a low hanging fruit. Sorry, Steve. Yeah. Um. There's there's several aspects to this. We're talking about the mega church celebrity pastor type thing which is easy for us to talk about since we're not mega church celebrity pastors, right? And some people will be like, well, you know, you don't have the authority to talk about that, but that's not once again, an airtight intellectual argument um, to say you don't have the authority because you're not in that position. But we're also talking about preachers who have intentionally or even unintentionally diluted or something more pressing for me, added to mm-hmm. the gospel and because everyone tuning into this podcast, most people tuning in this podcast are like, oh, you know, Stephen Furt, Joel Osteen, Joyce Meyer, T.D. John Jakes. Gray. Like, oh, these people are terrible. You know, look what happened with Carl Lentz. Look what happened with Brian Houston. Like, that's, that's, you know. But are we astute enough to think of the pastors that we actually listen to and like? And have they on matters of morality adding works potentially, mm-hmm. at least ideologically to the gospel, matters of social justice, woke ideology. Are we astute enough to actually work through those things? Like narcissism, like that's something we all struggle with, right? 
But when does the scale tip to such a degree that the pastor seems to be from all indication and discernment without trying to like judge and pick apart, where it seems like they're just walking in open narcissism? And is that disqualifying? So that, that that's a, a conglomeration of a lot of different stuff that we might be tackling here. And Stephen Furtick is just kind of like the low apple in the tree that we get to hit with a stick. Well, let's, let's hit, hit, let's hit, hit him. Let's hit it. Let's hit it. Let's hit him. So I like being hit. There's just a huge issue when we talk about this, that this whole... <laughs> whole group of people this whole type of preacher i'm, I'm just where, where where do we begin let's start with this one do you think that the material abundance wealth platform all of these things that some of these pastors <clears throat> preachers have inherently makes it difficult for them to be faithful yes because of what jesus said about wealth wealth is not sinful money is not sinful but remember the camel going through the eye of the needle illustration. It is harder for a rich man to get into the kingdom. It's like a camel going through the eye of a needle. And so it is difficult to follow Christ. The example, the one we're imitating, if we're not living a Christ-like sacrificial life like he did, and we're rather amassing for ourselves a lot of material possessions, whether that's financial or other types of possessions. To me, it's very problematic to have a pastor that's incredibly wealthy, unless that pastor is very transparent about the income coming in and is, well, maybe not transparent, but just in, in their own family life, is very bent on sacrificial giving. People can know or cannot know that, but God does. And there, our churches are full of people that are very wealthy. And we're so thankful for these people because they give to fund things like this and to fund local ministries and global ministries. So I want to say yes, it does create more obstacles. Jesus, I think, would say yes, it creates more obstacles, but it's not an automatic no. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's like the principle of it because you can be a pastor that's like middle class, that's still being selfish and not sacrificial with your money. For sure. So maybe that's how some of them say. started, you know? And then, like, as you just get more money, you just obviously um, build your kingdom higher. And definitely. So. I mean, I, I appreciate what both of you guys are saying, but I wanted to piggyback off of Adam. And then you kind of said it, Dan, where it was, I would go broader than the money issue because there are many that, don't make millions. Mm. There are many of soft gospel churches in Pinellas County, around the United mm -hmm. States, where the pastors, middle income, maybe even lower income, like they're not making. So I think it's at the root. I think it's narcissism. Like that's, hey, that's why really a pastor wants the wealth is pride. Um, that's why they want to not say things that are offensive to people. So those people will like them, which is pride. Um, that's why they want to add to the gospel and share their opinions as if that's gospel. Because of pride, it's what their their conscience, their mind has convinced them. Through. So I think that's the broader issue here. And I think because of pride and because it is at, it is present in all of us. It is always hard to be faithful. Like it's always hard. Specific to the the celebrity making millions, that their pride is manifested differently, hmm. and more more maybe in greed or popularity or whatever it is. But I think that pride is there. And so it's always going to be difficult to remain faithful. That was leading right into the next thing I was going to ask about the whole celebrity pastor culture. 
that mm. has is a more modern thing. I don't think it's a modern thing. Well, there have <laughs> You're been wrong. Fa- <laughs> You're wrong. <laughs> you. <laughs> Have, there have been Sorry. famous, well-known pastors throughout history, preachers, teachers, etc. But I'm talking very specifically about there's a certain kind of celebrity pastor nowadays where they're in public view in a lot of the same ways that a traditional celebrity would be. And this may be the same answer as the money question, but I feel like that has obviously damaged the church in general. But what do you think about that? Is it positive, negative, neutral? It's negative on my opinion from both the pastor's perspective and the churches that they pastor. The pastor, like we've already mentioned, can be feeding all these narcissistic tendencies and wanting to present themselves in a certain way. But the churches can also present themselves and try to feed into this like because we want to always be on the cutting edge and we want to get more views, more streamers, more likes more just out there our pastor therefore always has to have the nicest this the nicest that mm-hmm. the freshest fade going on or haircut the nicest shoes Your the nice looking pretty good yeah today, i got it yesterday uh, sorry yeah, that, that's yeah. kind of like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um you know like just if if we <laughs> if if our churches function in such a way where we have to prop up our pastors to look a certain way in order to be mm-hmm. heard I think we're basing our entire existence, or at least that congregation, on the personality of the one up front rather than the one that hopefully this person up front is talking about. Yeah. So it's, it's just problematic through and through. Okay, so the, the listener, you can go ahead and judge me. I've never had a mentor in my entire life. I've never had a local mentor. And I know I would not recommend that for people. I try to be a mentor to our staff. Um, and so because of that, I've been blessed, even though he's not perfect, but I've been blessed with the ministry of like Tim Keller and John Piper, who are celebrity pastors. For sure. You know? For sure. And so I think it's a double-edged sword. That's how yeah. I approach this. I think there is a blessing. And again, I think first and foremost, the pastor is called to be faithful in their context to the people that God has put underneath them presently. So my family, my staff, my church here is my first like that's my first responsibility. That's Vertex's first responsibility, Piper's first responsibility, Keller, if they have a church. I understand there's some out there who don't have a church. There is a speaker or whatever. But if you have a church, that's your first responsibility. But then if God can use your influence and, and the skill and the gifts that he has given you to have a broader influence, and you're being faithful, we're striving to be faithful. I mean, like we can pick apart everybody, right? I can pick apart powers, he can pick apart me. Like we just do that endlessly because nobody's, nobody's perfect. But if they're striving to be faithful, then I see it as a blessing. I see, I mean, I don't like the title celebrity pastor, but I like the fact that there's an influence, small or great, that pastors can have beyond their own scope that wasn't here 20 years ago. You know, that was just wasn't through podcasting. Obviously, we do podcasting. Like, we're not celebrity pastors, but it goes out to people beyond Clearwater, like this podcast or our, yeah. you know, Dan's in, in our media ministry here. And, and Jeffrey estimated last year, over 50,000 people have been reached through media just from building 28 in the last couple of years. And so that's awesome. Like, that's great. It's hard to be faithful. The bigger your audience grows, the mm-hmm. harder it is, the bigger your pride typically grows. But that doesn't mean, I'm not going to throw out the baby with the bathwater. I don't think Powers yeah. or Dan is either. Like, I think it's just, it can be dangerous. And we've seen the dangers of that. We'll come back to the whole mega church, celebrity culture, bigger and better in a minute. But before we get to that part, well, let's just talk about the soft gospel in general. You mentioned that term. What do we mean by that term? 
And why does it matter? Because it's not the real gospel. The soft gospel is like the gospel in a cloak that's more palatable for the audience, for the church. And I think it's like we keep talking about the heart of the issue. It's like because if a pastor is preaching soft gospel, he's probably trying to get more numbers and like get more people in and not wanting to offend people with the truth. And so it's just a more palatable Almost gospel. And by soft gospel, we're talking about basically anything that makes the gospel more palatable. Mm-hmm. That, I mean, now. Smooths down the show. We should, we should, we should be palatable in our approach, I think. We should be engaging. And oh, yeah. I, I would argue humorous and colorful and like the gospel is not boring. And we should do our best to like present it with the stunning beauty and reality that it is. But when we say, when we look at scripture and we say, mm, that, let's say, sin or total <laughs> depravity or repentance or, yeah. uh, you know, just restoration, church discipline, any of these things, you know, that's our culture is not going to like that stuff. You know, we look at these things and go, let's just not talk about them. Let's just rouse everyone <clears throat> up to live their best life, mm-hmm. to, you know, be on fire for Jesus. Let's talk a really a positive message with G- a little bit of Jesus. Very ambiguous, like a very ambiguous, not, not very specific. So if we do talk about sin, it's very ambiguous. So that we're all, we're all sinners, but you know, so we don't, hone in on specific sins and struggles and see true repentance. That's what we mean. So when it's a purposeful or even sometimes non-purposeful from our receptive bias, stripping away components that scripture says, this is what is necessary, then we have oh, we have become the very thing that Jude warns about in the book of Jude, mm-hmm. um, where we have diluted the gospel because it's offensive and so that's why, like, you know, hey, shout out to Willow Creek. But back in the 80s, 90s, they took down the cross. It's well documented. They took down the cross because they thought people coming in, that would be offensive to them mm. to see the cross. That would be a, an example, a physical example of a soft gospel message. Wow. Yeah. And I, I would just add to everything wonderful that you guys are saying. In, in anything that a church would do to soften the rough edges felt in the contemporary culture is a softening of the gospel the, under this label, soft gospel. And really, it's a exchange at the center, which is why it's such an issue. God is the center of the gospel. It's his gospel. It proclaims his glory, his holiness, his grace, his love, his mercy towards undeserving sinners And anything we lessen or do to lessen God in his essence, man in his sin, has the effect of counterbalancing or exchanging God at the center, putting man at the center. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, the message isn't so much God is holy. You are a sinner. You need to repent. Look at the grace and love of the gospel displayed to us. Oh, my gosh. Praise this God forevermore. But it's rather... God is in heaven and he loves you so much. You're so worthy. You're so good on your own that he just can't stay away from you. So he sent Jesus because he loves you so much as if he were needy and lacking in himself. And the thing that could just fill the hole in his heart is our friendship and our relationship. And so really God is portrayed as a vending machine in the sky that if we just push the right buttons of prayer, tithing, Bible reading, this type of voting, this type of ideology, we'll get what we want, shower down in all kinds of blessings and promotion and material prosperity. 
And this is rampant in our culture. And this is why I like in the, the like, West. It's not just soft gospel. Like all these bleed together. Prosperity gospel. Yeah. Be faithful to God and he's gonna give you health and wealth and success yeah. and prosperity. And if you don't have health and wealth and success and prosperity, and your baby doesn't get better or you don't get healed mm. of cancer because you didn't have enough faith and you weren't obedient mm. enough and and yada yada. But that's prosperity gospel. And then there's moralistic gospel of do this and do this to prove you're a Christian or to be a Christian or, <laughs> you know, check all these boxes. And we could go on and on with the plethora. We, time would fail us to go on with all the different false gospels that are out today. At the end of the day, Arminianism, Catholicism included, are humanistic. That's where they all come down to. They all come back to, it's about me. Mm -hmm. It's about what I can do. It's about how special I am. It's about my free will. It's about my works. It's about, and the benefits are very temporal and physical for me. Like I'll be happy in this life. I'll live my best life now. I'll not get sick. I'll, you know, it's all this temporal, you know, hocus pocus that has gone on in the church. And, and so the, you know, I'll be spoiling the rest of the episode, I'm sure. But I think that Arminians, Catholics, soft gospel, prosperity gospel, moralistic gospel, I think that the graciousness of God is powerful enough to, to override and still save many of those people. That's my take, mm-hmm. including Stephen Furtick. But I think the error they're presenting is deceiving on so many fronts, not just the soft gospel front, deceiving so many people, even at Building 28. Like, oh, yeah. And yeah, even one, yeah. one of the things that frustrates me so much about this is the soft gospel is so present and potent, at least in our culture in the West these days, that when you come across a church that's not soft gospel. They seem crazy. Well, right. But th- this is something that we, we've experienced it. Sunrise, um, I think the soft gospel is so permeated into our current culture that when people come to Sunrise, someone once told me, oh, Sunrise is a hard church, like one of those hard churches. Hard gospel. And I was like, what do you, what do you mean? It's like, well, you like really take the Bible seriously. And I'm like, isn't that just a church? Yeah. With that no. smooth fade you got going on. There. Right. <laughs> I know. So like we get knocked by doing the faithful thing, mm-hmm. by being like hard, biting, almost fundamentalist extremists for just believing the Bible, while the rest of the <laughs> That's majority of yeah. himself, I'm not, I'm not evangelical there, culture I'm not just goes there. soft. Like yeah. we get thrown under the bus, which which is fine. We'll keep doing this. We're not changing. And then Mark Driscoll runs over you. <laughs> you just said this is a very prevalent thing today. It's very popular. What is the issue here? What is the potential danger for the average churchgoer, the average listener of this podcast, being in a week-in, week-out environment like that? I mean, we're reactive people, even myself. I'm reacting to how I was raised. I'm reacting to the people I used to follow and I used to like and softening toward the people I used to criticize so harshly and I think that's just how human, like how we are even in the church. Humanity is that way, but how we are in the church. So mm-hmm. we react to upbringing and culture and ideology that we like or dislike. And so the, the problem is if we don't check that, our gospel becomes influenced by that bias. It's so easy mm-hmm. for me to look at Danny and be like, your gospel is wrong. And not be introspective enough to go as a church goer, as a pastor, am I actually like believing, communicating, discipling through the true pure gospel or am I adding stuff to it? Cause that's what I mean by reactive is if we grew up kind of, you're listening to this and you grew up more soft gospel or whatever, the tendency is to go in the more moralistic route. 
to react and like tighten down. I grew up the more moralistic route. So my tendency is going to be to deconstruct everything that is not necessary to the gospel and, and strip it away. Like a mere Christianity? Ah, uh, maybe at times. There's a helpful way to do that and yeah. a very unhelpful way to do it. Sure. Lewis could Tell perhaps me. be the example. Tell me from your bias, Powers. <laughs> <laughs> There's so much pastor worship and ideological preference going on that we have lost the ability to actually just go to Scripture mm. and ask ourselves, based on proper, this is really important, proper hermeneutical unpacking of Scripture, mm. not just like, because once again, my bias can interpret Scripture the way I want to, but based on how has the church interpreted Scripture in its healthy seasons throughout church history, what has the church Amen. believed historically Amen. throughout church history about these things, and then looking at it that way instead of just believing what one dude says or what I want to be true from Scripture, and I can find a proof text for anything, you know? So anyway, that's just my rant on yeah, this. I just good. think the reactive nature that we have is the most damning component. And so we gravitate toward those that share our convictional preference. Yeah. Like again, what Aaron was saying, that the blind trust is always dangerous. And I was thinking, obviously, when you're in a soft gospel church or a straight up false gospel church, having blind trust in it is going to create like, you're going to think you know Jesus, but your pastor is not even telling you the true Jesus, or you're going to think you know what it is to live a life that is honoring to God when you don't actually know it all because what he's telling you is different from what the Bible tells you. But I'm glad that he took it back to the other side too, because I think we all can become victim to that too. And I do too, even with Aaron sometimes, like I know that he reads his word and he's going to do it right. So I can no, just, you should trust me. <laughs> but you know, it's like, it's, it goes on both sides. Like you have to be testing it by scripture and you could just be, you know, the danger is the, like you think you know God and not the end of your life is like, I never knew you. Yeah. That's the biggest danger. Which is, which is really another way to say, I think if you lessen the gospel, eventually you keep don't, going down that road, you lose the gospel. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it morphs into something. You might still call yourself a church. You might still use a lot of Christian lingo, but you have long ago ceased being anything resembling a Christian congregation. So a lot of these soft gospel peddlers should really call themselves just inspirational speakers because they're no different than Tony Robbins. I guess I'm on the other they're side. They're just of the, using the Bible. I'm on the other side of the aisle right now, I guess. I'm fed up with the moralism mm. cloaked as Christianity. Oh, sure. And so I think as we're discussing this, the <clears throat> angst in my soul is not like to me, like Stephen, You're reacting Stephen against Furt, it's cute. Man, he's muscle bound. I wish I had that bod. Um, but he just seems, he just smells like a charlatan. Like, I mean, like to me, it's not even hard. Like I, I don't know any like sound Christians who are listening to Stephen Furtick on the regular. Like, right. I don't know that. Rather than the people that you, you would call I'm, perhaps There are sounds. people, I don't even want to mention their names just because they hate me because of your bias, but there are people <laughs> that I do know sound Christians are listening to. Well, let's and, go, Nate. Come and, on. And, let's no, go. No, but they're just like, they're just like, I just... You can't tell me that Jesus is is happy yeah. with you watching a rated R movie. Like, you know, yeah. and, and everybody's like, amen, you know, amen. And and as pastors, we know what's going to get amens based mm -hmm. on the bias of our congregation, right. mm -hmm. you know? Right. But it's moralism. And I'm not throwing out all standards and personal convictions and, and right. whatever. I'm not trying to do that, but I'm yeah. saying those have been elevated, become part of the gospel in so many societies today, so many mm -hmm. church societies, so many subcultures. Look, I am just, I say, I use the word all the time to the point where Jeffrey, our media director, just hates it but what, he, he what, stays with me. But I use the word iconoclastic. Like I use that because that's who yeah, I am. Yeah, define this word. So I, iconoclasm, that tendency is where you see 
culturally accepted ideas, both outside the church and inside the church, and you just want to dissect them and fight them and pick them apart and deconstruct them. I want to do it all the time. And so I put up this, this thing on social media where it was <laughs> Stephen Furtick and John MacArthur and Paul Washer. And I had an X to all their faces. And I said, this brand of Christianity needs to die. And, <laughs> and the people that responded, I got a lot of responses. It was great. So when you're but reacting all, to certain all, things, are all, you trying to get a reaction? Yeah, of course, of course. <laughs> That's why I'm trying to make people think. But everybody who reacted, I mean, it was just so predictable. was like, oh, I agree with on Furtick, but not with MacArthur and Washer. Mm -hmm. And that's fine. But I was like, why? Like, why, why do we implicitly trust? Because Washer and MacArthur teach a harder message, a more cutting message, we can just implicitly trust them. What if, I'm not saying they are, maybe they are. What if they're weaving moralism into this thing? What if they're, and this is the point where you fundamentalists turn off the recording. But what if they're weaving in and we're not being prudent enough because we've reacted to the soft gospel. Overreacted. To, mm. Overreacted. Over and now we're like, we've got to add to this, like the Judaizers in Galatians. Yeah. The Judaizers yeah. are wrong in Galatians. Right. Dead wrong. And the Libertines were dead wrong in Jude. That's not me saying that MacArthur or Washer or whoever's going to hell or they're wrong or whatever. I'm just trying to like provoke thought where we're thinking through these things because it's easy. I feel like the soft gospel, prosperity gospel, they're just easy targets. Like this is stupid. Like this is just dumb, like Christianity. Like Christians have never believed this. It doesn't work. We all get sick. We live in a broken world. Danny's going to die one day. I'm going to die one day. We're going to get cancer. Like our, our parents are going to split up. That's the nature of the world. So the prosperity, soft gospel, God just wants you to be happy, doesn't work because sin has ruined that. So any level of intellectualism can pick that apart. It takes a lot more discernment for us to look at those who are actually towing the line of strong, evangelical, Christian, Protestant, historical, biblical Christianity and go, what, what are we getting wrong? Mm. How are people being diluted and deceived here? Yeah, That's good. You know? That's my rant. Yeah, Sorry, to, Jeffrey. It has rant. to go both ways. The thing is, there's the soft gospel caricature that you said is it's cute. It's not even believable. No one even believes yeah. that. But there's a much more subtle version of that that is very rampant. Very. That people in all our churches throughout, they're going to church and like Danny said, they think this sounds biblical. This sounds right, but it's not. And so what do we do about that. What is that? What are markers of that? For the person who's going around looking for a church to go to, what are the things to let them know this is a place to be or not to be? So a lot of us know the quote by Spurgeon. Discernment is not knowing the difference between right and wrong. It's knowing the difference between right and almost right. I think that's Dumbledore. I don't think that's... Hey, it's probably Dumbledore too. <laughs> Dumbledore loves Spurgeon, I heard. Um, and vice versa. But I think that that's where we are. It's just easy to attack these that there's a clear distinction. This is not right. It's just not right. And granted, 27,408 people a weekend go to Elevation and millions listen online. But you're just like, that's just not Bethel. It's just atrocious. Like, I mean, it's just, it's hyper sensitive Christianity, overinflated um, reliance on subjectivity, which is always a problem, including in the moralism realm, when we can just rely on what I think is right, what I feel like should be right. Like who I think God, what I think holiness is, what I feel like holiness is. Like, so holiness growing up to me was growing up in our church was you couldn't wear jeans to church on a Sunday morning and guys couldn't have a beard. So that worked out well for us. <laughs> and um, girls had to wear skirts and 
couldn't shave their legs or I don't even know. Like it was weird. Like, right. It's it weird. It's like, but it was, it was, none of that was birthed out of like scripture. It was just mm-hmm. all birthed out of like cultural preference and feeling and what I think holiness looks like. So countercultural to the quote unquote world and how the world looked and how the world acted. Yeah. That it was that a was, reaction. That was, it yeah. was a reaction to all that. Super set apart. So, so we can spot those errors. We can spot the Westboro Baptist of the world and be like, okay, that's, that's not it. Mm-hmm. But it's harder to spot those who are really close. The the like the whole idea of wolves in sheep's clothing is they're not wolves in wolves clothing. <laughs> yeah. Right? They're they're not. Like and so they're in sheep's they have clothing. A they, Halloween costume. They, they deceive. They deceive. Very you know, I've always talked about fitting. like Matthew 7, 21 <laughs> through 23. Well you like preach, oh not not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. But the scariest thing is like there's these people there who are going, I mean, I don't know if somebody's Vertic or MacArthur or Washer or myself. I mean like I pray not. I pray yeah. that, but they're sitting there and they're so convinced they're Christians. They're arguing with God about their gospel. They believe right. maybe a good litmus test thing to say. We we often tell people this when they come to sermonize, like, "What's the church about?" Well, first thing is the way to get to know a church to see what it is, what gospel they're preaching, is to be there for more than a Sunday. You got to be there. You got to know the culture of the congregation. You got to get a sense of the people, not only the leadership from the front, but the people in the seats, in the pews. And I think maybe one question could probably help answer this. Now, I might be being too simplistic. And some churches take longer, other churches take shorter to get to answer this question. But the question is, I think, what's being celebrated here? Like, what are we gathering around? What are we seeking to push out? What are we making much of as a gathering of people here? And I think on the Furtick side, it's the personality, it's the material blessing, it's all the things that are, that are the easy targets that we've talked about. Perhaps, Aaron, to go your side, it's the, hey, we're not like those guys. Or it's, we're look the, what I've done. Look at my the, perseverance. Right. Look at my faithfulness. Yeah. Like, look, at, look at my obedience. Look at yeah. my repentance. You know, it's just like... Oh, like it's just nasty. Yeah. Like that's not the focus yeah. should not be there. Right. Like, the thing to be celebrated is the gospel, is the God of this gospel. And so I think it takes time to know what's being celebrated and made much of in a congregation. But as soon as you know that, you can know, I think, black and white, where this church is and where these people are on the softer, uh, soft gospel or true gospel issue. So to, to Adam's point. People will come to Building 28. I don't know if this happens sometimes. And they'll just like freaking love it. They're like, this is amazing. Like so much gospel, so much grace. Like so much. And then like a month later, they'll be like, can't you be like the church I left that I didn't like? You know, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. where you're talking about specific things all the time. And this is where I land. I, I think there's a time and a place when it's in the text to talk about specific sin. We've already talked about that mm-hmm. when it comes versus soft gospel. Never mm-hmm. talking about specifics. You know what I mean? Like young guys and girls I've told over the years don't have sex before marriage. You know, and like I have about a 99% fail rate in that. They just end up stumbling. They end up falling. They, they, you know, a lot of times, even though they know that's not what they should do. And I think that that's, to me, that's an example of when a church hyper fixates on telling people what to do and what not to do all the time, instead of presenting to them, let me put it this way. The greatest cause for faithfulness in my marriage is not my wife waking up every day and being like, hey, don't cheat on me today. The greatest cause for faithfulness in marriage is love for your spouse. I think if like Christians will 
be reminded of the gospel and redemption, justification, the resurrection, what God has done to us and who he is to us and what Jesus, the bridegroom, is to us as bride. If we're like reminded of that a lot with all the beauty and depth of it, not just the palatable, mm. like comfortable stuff, but all the beauty and depth of that. That's why we remind of depravity a lot. Not so I can be like, y'all are terrible people necessarily, but so that we can be stunned again by the radicality of grace and, and how gracious God was. I feel like that is the premier catalyst, grace, not guilt, to like Amen. living this Amen. life of Christianity authentically before the Lord. And I think that is the thing I would encourage people. When you go to a church, how fixated are they on you? Whether that is making you feel comfortable, soft gospel, making you feel successful, prosperity gospel, or mm -hmm. making you a better person, yeah. moralistic gospel, mm -hmm. versus how fixated are they on the gospel, on Christ, a Trinitarian relationship, on the, the beauties of soteriology, on the future hope of the resurrection that we have. These truths that while they are for some, not as practical, they birth practicality. They Me do. being faithful mm -hmm. to my they wife do. is very practical. Yeah. But it's birthed out of something more ambiguous. A, a Hosea, love that a I Hosea have. Like yeah, that. a love that I have yeah. for my wife, mm -hmm. a love that I have for God even, mm -hmm. and, the, mm -hmm. and seeing that as the covenant of marriage. So there's a broadness in that. Yeah. Like there doesn't have to be like this, this pinpointed, oh, it's only Aaron's church or it's only Adam's church. There are many faithful True. men out there who we all lean one direction or another. And the yeah. Holy Spirit has to kind of correct us a lot of times away from those <laughs> leanings because a lot of these people like Furtick, they started kind of in the center. They started a lot of times understanding scripture Furtick well. Furtick is a Southern and, seminary. And then, yeah, and then they, they vacillated. They were influenced. And like, so we got to make sure that we're not being influenced by that as well. But I think that that is the hyper-focus that we should have of, of from scripture, just Furtick's using the Bible, mm -hmm. but from scripture, what are they pointing us to? Like, is it all, is it all about us, our obedience, mm -hmm. our morality, our comfort, our joy, our happiness, whatever, or is it much more so about the graciousness of God and his mercy upon us, his love for us, true love, though, biblically defined, not this ambiguous, weird cultural love. So uh, that's it. So I think it's really easy for us as pastors to talk like that. We live in a very bubbled world. We struggle with knowing what people different than us think about normal life like we don't live normal lives like normal for us is not normal for every everyone else so week in and week out people come to our churches and listen to us for a good 50 minutes maybe you know if that's a long one 42. right yeah 35 to 42. 42. that's a goal so <laughs> what's that like from your perspective and why do you not eat it up then if so much of your generation does why do you not <laughs> because god's grace brought me here and <laughs> gave me that the knowledge to see it how it is Amen. but Amen. with social media and everything like i don't know it's i i did kind of want to be a part of like churches like that and church cultures like that like when i was like a baby christian like freshman year of high school and i kind of was for a second because it's it's really fun to buy into like all those churches that are soft gospel or like a lot of them are having great events and like their culture is awesome and it's super fun or like their media is super cutting edge and it's like because it's like a business and their pastor is not a pastor he's a speaker and it's like an event and you go see him and you like take a picture that you're there you know so it's but like for my generation that the social media generation that's like so fun I totally see what you're saying like that is grabbing a ton of people today mm -hmm. and I don't want to be like callous to the fact that Fertig is very evangelical, like preaches the gospel, wants to see people saved. I think he's dead wrong on like he's told his church countless times 
we do not exist for the saved. We exist for lost. That's not the, pur the purpose of the gathering mm -hmm. of believers. It's mm -hmm. biblically, historically not for the lost. doesn't mean people can't get saved in the gathering, but mm -hmm. like that's just dead wrong. But I don't think he's like going to hell for that. Yeah. I just think it's just wrong and it's deceptive. And the purpose of the church is to instruct the church. The gathering is to instruct the church so they can do the work of the ministry outside the walls of the church. That's just how it's always been unless we want to redefine Christianity. As you mentioned, Danny, a lot of people are attracted to this. So let's say you have friends who are posting clips promoting these things. And maybe there's nothing inherently obviously wrong with what's being said in this, but you know that it's subtle. Would you say anything to that person? How would you interact with that person? Do you think you should even say anything to them? I mean, I think with all hard conversations, it's kind of weird to have a hard conversation that you with somebody that you haven't seen in five years, you know? Like, I think you have to at least still have like a good friendship with them to... yeah. You don't just want to like never talk to them for like five years and then swipe up on a story and be like, let's yeah. argue How about this on social media. This? Yeah, <laughs> I do think relationship is important and having that connection with somebody. It's, it's hard to like just blast a person who I don't know hardly at all. Or, you know, social media has made that doable today. Mm -hmm. But like a girl that I'm friends with posted something on social media by a preacher who's actually on the, the, the side of this that I'm attacking more, posted a quote by him saying, um, oh, Christians today believe that God saved you because he saw so much worth and value in you, but it's not. He saved you for his glory or whatever. And I just wrote back and I said, could it not be both? You know, could it not be that he saw in us something that he, not intrinsic to us, not inherent to us, but something that he deemed worthy of salvation? I mean, that's the whole like Romans 5, 8 point. God demonstrated his love for us. He valued us not because Danny's awesome, but because he placed upon her worth as an image bearer and as a covenantal love for her that he says, yes, for my glory, but also because I am showing you how much I value you. I just feel like good questions, like kind questions to, to stir thought. Because it's so easy just to post a quote today, yeah. just to say something and be like, by Furtick or by Piper or whoever it is. And that's just the end of the conversation. And I think that should be the beginning of the conversation. It should be, hey, let's let's talk through this and let's see if we can, let's see if both of these things could be true. They don't, maybe they're not opposing arguments, you know? I think that those kind of things, like just asking questions, if you have yeah. a friend who has fallen into a soft gospel way of thinking or moralistic gospel or prosperity gospel, whatever, instead of like coming at them and condemning them right off, which no one's gonna wanna hear and no one's going to hear, um, just asking some questions. Like and opening mm. up the conversation in a kind way where you're trying to win a soul back instead of trying to like win mm. the argument, you know? That's good. Yeah. I do that often at church with visitors. Um, members know kind of the culture of our congregation, the culture that we all kind of agree to and live together and normal things that come out of my mouth, whether they're crazy or true. But with visitors often... I like to gauge sometimes where they're at. And so like we'll we'll have a visitor come for a few weeks and they immediately friend me on social media. I'm like, okay, I sit there and look through this person's and like, you know, that's that's what we do often. Pastors do this too. I'm like, what 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 kind of person is coming to our church here? You know, some just pastors, going I guess. <laughs> and then, but like occasionally we'll we'll get a visitor who's like a huge fan of people that we at Sunrise do not enjoy for this or that reason. And so I'll just send a, if I see something like that, I'll be, I'll try to be proactive 
and I'll say, hey, let's let's chat real quick Sunday about something. Something you should probably know about Sunrise or perhaps about <laughs> So you me. ruin their weekend. Totally. And so they're all worried. Like, what is this pastor want <laughs> exactly, to talk to me about? Exactly. You know? But then but then the moment comes and I'm just like, just want to give you a heads up. You know, I saw that you had this quote on here making much of this individual. Let, let's say it's Furtick, you know, things like that. You're coming to a church where that type of environment, that message, that whole movement is kind of frowned upon. Um, I just want you to know that. Would you be open to having a discussion to explore these things more? Um, and perhaps why that's so? And I'll just leave it in their court. And sometimes they say, yeah, I'd love to know why. Mm. And sometimes they're just like, I'm never coming back to the church ever. And so I, I like being open and honest. And they come here. From the front. <laughs> they come south. <laughs> 20 minutes. Uh, from the front, it's helpful knowing exactly kind of what you're getting. You know, so there's no yeah. like down, down the road. You're like, oh, I never knew that. That's the last thing I want for people coming to a church. Yeah. Yeah. So as we said, the difference between right and almost right is really significant. For me, that's the takeaway of this whole episode is that that is very critical. So how do we thread that needle? How do we guard against becoming the extremes on either side? Mm -hmm. Critical thinking does not mean critical. I think that's important. Like we should be critical thinkers. That doesn't mean we like are critical of everything. Yeah. We should always like, I mean, even if you're not a Christian, you would agree. Like, we should be critical of like wrong that's trying to hurt people. If a gospel is being preached that's going to hurt souls, we should be critical of that. Like, we should pick that apart. Um, at the same time, there should be grace and there should be deference. And we should have the hopefully the prudence to say, Danny sees things convictionally in a personal conviction way different, different than I do. That's some of the reform world just sucks at that. They're terrible at that. It's the way I see it. Um, I believe you should read your Bible an hour every day. And if you don't read your Bible every day, then you're not on my level or you're right. not Christian or whatever. Yeah. Like that type of stuff does need to die to a certain extent. Like your personal convictions are important for you and that's good. And and so when you go and you listen to a preacher, make sure that you have the, once again, the Berean mentality with scripture, but also like your, your mind, your soul by the power of the spirit, like turned on where you're parsing through this stuff. And you're, and part of that's going, all right, I really believe this. I really believe that whatever it is. I mean, there's so many crazy beliefs today. Um, but I really believe that this is important. But maybe that's not one of those things that every Christian has to believe is important. And so I think just, I mean, as crazy as it sounds, it's the truth that there's not enough thinking going on. There's not enough preparation of the soul, the mind, the heart to receive truth, to distill the message. And I think that needs to happen as we enter into a gathering, as we turn on right now media, as we watch somebody on YouTube, as we read a book, we need to be running it through. Like I read Ragamuffin Gospel here again recently. It's awesome. It's beautiful. Graham Manning, I think, hopefully believer, like, but he uh, he went a little far. Like he was basically antinomian. I mean, like yeah. he's he's right there. Roman Catholic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Roman Catholic, yeah. Uh, Jesuit, I think, or yeah. Franciscan or whatever it is. And... And so I'm walking away. I was talking to my brother Nate about it. And it's like, man, this book was really refreshing in one sense. And I was able to take away some really good stuff. In another sense, though, I'd be a bit reticent to just recommend it to everyone because I don't know if people can filter through, okay, 80% of this is really good. And 20% of this could be dangerous as a license to sin. Mm -hmm. And so it's that type of thing. I think we just, we read a book. We read one book. That's our society, right? We read one book and we're like, I have an airtight opinion uh, on everything or a tweet even, uh, you know? Paragraph. It's like, instead of <laughs> instead of having the discernment to walk through something, 
based on biblical and rational, reasonable consciousness as a follower of Christ and go, mm-hmm. I can accept 60% of what Furtick is saying, and that's actually good. But there's a whole nother 30, 40% that's sketchy here and that would that would prohibit me from recommending him as a resource for my people to listen mm-hmm. to. And I think we should do that. As Christians, as pastors, we have to determine you know, how much, because even in like somebody like Doug Wilson or John Piper, there's things I disagree with. For sure. And, and I'm going, Doug Wilson on patriarchal leadership and John Piper on some of the social justice stuff. And But I'm going, to what extent can I still recommend? What caveats do I need to give on these things so that I'm a good shepherd, so that I'm a critical thinking Christian? Yeah. Um, that's the type of tools I think we need to implement to look at all that's going on in our world and all the opinions and ideologies that are happening today and be able to parse through them. That's really good. I have a final thought. Um, Please. And I, exactly what you're saying, because I think it's important as an individual Christian to do that, but then also, like you said, as a good pastor, as a good shepherd, I wanted to say that when I first saw that like we were doing this episode and the title was Furtick, I kind of laughed to myself because in our student group, our students are amazing and our student ministry is amazing and they like give our kids like really like the full gospel and they are little mini theologians and they love it. But they are like, if they hear the word furtick in our student group, they start laughing and they're just yeah. like, they're like, oh, that's not real. Like, which is good because they like know that, but do they know it because they've discerned it for themselves exactly. or yeah, because yeah. we have spoon fed them that, mm. which so is why? so yeah. dangerous too on the flip side because they can just as easily take that from anyone else, you know? So just being wary of like a cancel culture mentality and just, our, yeah, just, our job is, and, and for yourself included, as a leader of ladies, especially young ladies, as pastors, as the theologian over here, um, our job is not only to teach truth, it's to teach people how to distill truth, yeah. like how to take it in and parse themselves. it through. Because mm-hmm. these kids are going to go away to college. And statistically, kids lose their faith that they never actually had in college a lot of times because they're being spoon-fed something else and they were never taught how to actually tell the difference between truth and error. Yeah. And so that is something that as shepherds, as parents, <clears throat> as disciple makers, we need to take seriously. Amen. So is Stephen Furtick going to hell? I don't think so. But that's, I mean, that's between ultimately between him and God. And knows God. those who are his. Yeah, him and God. I mean, has he legitimately believed on the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation? If he has, then he's not going to hell. I don't know if he has, but if he has, he's not going to hell. He can be really, really wrong on some stuff just like Augustine was I'm not saying that Furtick and Augustine are the same, but you know what I mean? Like just like Augustine was uh, on the impeccability of Mary and, uh, or like Luther was on baptism or like so many throughout church history have been wrong, dead wrong on stuff. That's mm-hmm. important. And they could even be dangerous in that. Like there have been people who were dangerous. Um, you know, I, Charles Finney, for example, whether or not he's in heaven or hell, like if he believed, truly believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, then you're that's, that's gospel. Like that's, what secures us before him. And we don't know that for anybody. So if he's really believed in Christ, he's not going to hell. He's not going to fall from that, but he'd still be dead wrong and he'd still be dangerous. And so we need to be able to call that out and warn without just damning somebody. That's it for today. Appreciate you guys. That's good, man. It was fun. It was fun. Hey, you did good, man. You did good. You did good. I appreciate it. Atmosphere here. So appreciate that. (laughs) Thanks for tuning in. Until next time, folks. Thanks for listening to Out of Odds. If you enjoyed this episode, share it with your friends and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you listen. Out of Odds is produced by Building 28 Church and Podcast Royale. 
You can find out more about the show and Building 28 by visiting outofozpodcast.com. New episodes drop every Monday, and you can get each one automatically by subscribing in your favorite podcast app.